right? I'm, I'm new here. So please be seated. People are still standing up. I'm like, no, I think we're only singing three stanzas. But anyway, that's good. Um, this uh, morning, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be turning to Revelation chapter 3. If you know anything about the uh, introductory chapters of the book of Revelation, you know that there are seven letters that were accompanying the overall revelation that the Lord was giving to the churches. And each one of the churches that were to receive a copy of the book of Revelation had a letter that would introduce to them this revelation that John had seen as witnessed as the Lord gave it to him. And probably one of the most um, infamous of all of the letters was the letter that was written to the church in Laodicea. And it's infamous because we're probably familiar with the very graphic language that our Savior uses in this letter, speaking and addressing this church. Because not only does Jesus refer to the fact that this is a lukewarm church, but he says he wants to spew, he wants to vomit this church out of his mouth. That's pretty graphic, right? Maybe not used to that kind of language, and yet there it is in this letter that Jesus writes to this church in Laodicea. But not only is this church in Laodicea and this letter written to them famous or infamous because of kind of those two ideas, but it's also infamous, if you will, among all the seven letters because it's unique. It's unlike all the rest of the letters. If you had any study in this before, in, in these letters, you know that there's, generally speaking, a, a kind of structure to these letters. Um, there, there is usually a commendation. So Jesus is commending the church. Like, I, I know what you're doing. I know what you're going through. And I want to bless you. I want to recognize that in the, in the face of where you are and the challenges that you're going through, you're, you're doing this well. And I'm well pleased. And yet, having said that, on the one hand, on, on, on the other hand, we, we recognize that there are some challenges. So there are usually commendations, and then, I don't use this in the most technical sense, condemnations. Because the technical sense would be, we, we are not condemned anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But if you can bear with, there's something critical that Jesus said. And you see that in the structure of these letters. Now, again, if you know anything about these letters, you know that there are two churches that don't receive any criticism at all. The church in Smyrna, and then the church in Philadelphia. The Lord has nothing but blessing for these churches. I just want to bless you. I want to recognize the context in which you live. You are thriving. You are blossoming where you've been planted. You've been faithful even to the point of death. And I see that and I recognize that. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles open, you'll recognize that right before the church in Laodicea is the church in Philadelphia. And the Lord has nothing but commendation for the church in Philadelphia. And then we come to the church in Laodicea. And here's what makes this unique. There's nothing but condemnation for the church in Laodicea. Shockingly, it is the only church 
where Jesus says effectively, there is nothing noteworthy. Nothing. Now, if, if you flip back and go right before the church in Philadelphia, you see that there's a church in Sardis. Look at what it says there. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Jesus does an autopsy. He goes, you guys think you're alive? You're dead. And yet even the church in Sardis that thinks it's alive, but is in fact dead, he at least has something positive to say because he goes later on, he goes, well, at least there are some who have not sullied themselves, dirtied themselves in the things of this world. They, they haven't bowed the knee. There are yet some names that remain faithful and true. Okay? So even Sardis, where Jesus does an autopsy in his letter, goes, there's still something there. And then when we come to Laodicea, there's nothing. There ain't nothing. And yet, having said that, Jesus speaks some of the most unbelievably warm, encouraging words to this church that is the absolute sickest of all seven. He speaks some of the most generous words, lavishes love upon them, even though there's nothing there. So that's what I want to try to explore with you as we come to this seventh letter to the church in Laodicea that maybe we know something about, but God willing, maybe we can learn just a bit more. So verse 14 This is God's word. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you, I will vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. And I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love. I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I want to look at three points with you this morning. I I want us to see that that there is in this letter an important introduction. There's an important introduction. There's, second of all, hard information. Hard information. And third and finally, there is a generous invitation. There's a generous invitation. 
Now let me start with an apology because the first point, an important introduction, is honestly and transparently a silly point, right? It's silly. Because of course it's an important introduction. It's the word of God. And so that, that could be a point for every single one of these letters. So the six letters previous, they all had introductions. So they're all important introductions. And, and so here I am with this, this point, important introduction. But, but I want to say that to try to communicate to you how important these introductions are. Because among all of the letters that we are maybe more or less familiar with, we probably are not familiar with the language of the introduction. Every one of these letters has a unique introduction that Jesus speaks into the unique situation of the church that he is speaking to. Now, typically, we know the unique situation of the church. So we maybe know that in the church in Ephesus, the first letter, that this is the church that had forsaken its first love. So we know something about this. We, we know about Laodicea, that they're lukewarm. Or we know that Jesus says he want to vomit them out of his mouth. Or we know that this is the one where he goes, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone opens up and lets me in, we're, we're going to eat together. We, like, maybe we know this. But a lot of times we don't know anything about the introduction. And it's important that we know the introductions. Because the introduction, and particularly this introduction, gives to us a preview of everything Jesus is going to say in the rest of this letter. So you need to hear what Jesus says in order to receive what he says. So what does he say? And why is this important? Well, there are kind of two aspects to this opening introduction. And the first aspect to this introduction focuses on the idea of truth-telling. Truth-telling. Okay, so if you have your Bibles open, look at what we read. To the angel, to the messenger of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen. So notice... Jesus' teaching to the church begins with the statement of Amen. Now, we're used to the word Amen coming after we have said something. The idea of Amen communicates the idea of, of trustworthiness. So, so we end our prayers and we say, Lord, we're, we're saying this and we're praying this and we believe this to be true. This is trustworthy. So, so having gone through everything that we've just said now in the context of our prayer, we go, Amen. But you know, Jesus oftentimes began his teaching with the word Amen. That's not oftentimes picked up on the English translation. The older translation would be verily, verily. Newer translation, truly, truly. The Greek would be amen, amen. Amen, amen. He begins his teaching with the word amen. And that speaks to the authority that he has in the way that he speaks. He can say before any words come out of his mouth, what I'm going to say to you is trustworthy. I don't know about you, I can't always say that, right? Because a lot of times, this old thing that's flapping on my face, it's going a lot faster than this thing between my ears, right? Amen to that, amen to that. 
A lot of times our mouth is moving a lot quicker than our brains are working. And then we have to go, oh, wait a second, I should probably rephrase that. I probably didn't quite put that right. I might have been exaggerating a little bit. I don't know if you know who I am. Sometimes I exaggerate. And, okay, I got, I got to retreat this. I got to kind of recalibrate this. I got to fix this up. Not Jesus. He speaks. And he can say even before he speaks, what you're about to hear is trustworthy. So that's the first thing. Now, let's keep going. Still within the vein of the idea of truth-telling. Look at what it says. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. Now we're in the context of witness. Now we're, now we're talking ninth commandment here, right? And, and we're talking about the idea of, of speaking the truth in the context of a relationship, speaking the truth in the context of, of activity that's taking place or things that have been done. So Jesus says at the beginning of his letter to this church, I am trustworthy and I come to you as a witness who is, yes, true, but is also faithful. I'm not going to undercut and I'm not going to oversell. Right? I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm not going to spin things up for the sake of spinning them up. I'm not going to slow it down for the sake of slowing it down. I am a faithful true witness who speaks the word as the amen. Okay, so a lot of emphasis here, right? question is why? Why does Jesus begin with this emphasis on truth, trustworthiness? Now we're not at our second point yet, but to just borrow the idea from our second point is because Jesus is going to say some things that are really, really really hard. And when someone comes to you and says something that is very hard for you to hear, what's the first kind of just native response? It's to say, knock it off. Shut your mouth. Who are you to say that to me? You don't know what you're talking about. You don't have a clue. And what do you start doing when, when someone like really is touching a nerve and they're really kind of getting close to, to where you live and exposing some of the things over which you're insecure and they start kind of going there. What do you do? You start cutting them off at the knees. You start taking away their authority to keep you in check, to hold you accountable because you don't want to hear it because... Oftentimes, it's true. And so Jesus says, before he says anything else about the church and holding up a mirror that they're going to have to see, that they don't want to see, because they just want to get along. And they just want to stay comfortable. We like where we're at. Jesus says, what I say to you is true, it's faithful, and I am the amen. And it's going to be hard. And you're going to want to fight. You're going to want to resist. But what I'm saying is true. Right? How many times have we been here? You hear the word. You feel conviction. And, and you don't want to take it. You don't want to receive it. So you start attacking the messenger. 
because you don't like the message. So that's the first part. Praise God, there's a second part to this introduction. Because this first part is, is going to be in the context of there are some things that need to be torn down. But what does he say in the second part of the introduction? The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That Jesus doesn't just come and tear down. He comes and builds up. Because his voice isn't just the voice of, of, of a man. It's the voice of creation. It's the voice of new beginnings. The voice of life. So I said very intentionally a few moments ago about this church in Laodicea. Jesus comes to it and there's nothing to see here, folks. There's nothing to see. Nothing. How did Jesus create? He spoke into the expanse of nothing. And it became something. The miracle of creation is that it's ex nihilo, right? Some of the only Latin any of us know Ex nihilo, out of nothing. He created something. He comes to this congregation. It's like, there are going to be some hard truths you're all going to have to accept. But know this, it's not just from the voice of one who just likes to tear things down because I'm faithful witness. I love you. And my voice is the voice of new beginnings. And I am an expert when it comes to nothing. You got nothing? Guess what? I can make that into something. But you got to recognize it's nothing before you come and see the wonder of the something. See now why this is important? Why this is good stuff? And it's a preview of now everything else that we're going to be looking at. So that means we need to look at the rest of it. So we've got to come to our second point. And our second point is hard information. And, and there are two kind of ideas here. Um, in terms of the hard information that Jesus gives. And the first bit of hard information that Jesus gives is that there is something wrong with the spiritual temperature of the church. So look at what we read, verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now here's where I probably did a disservice in the sermon title, so maybe none of you have seen the sermon title. Maybe that would not be the worst thing in the world. But if you did, the sermon title was Warm Words for a Cold Church. And here Jesus says, I would that you were either cold or hot. And here I'm using the word cold in a different way than, than the text. Because sometimes when we think of a cold church, we think of a, a dead church. We think of a lifeless church. So that, that's how I was using it in the sermon title. Just kind of the playoff, the, the warm and the cold and that idea. But, but here actually, Jesus doesn't refer to cold as being a bad thing. So that would be a good thing. 
If you're a cold church, that would be a good thing. But again, in the way that we use the idea of cold, that doesn't make sense to us. And that's why we have to understand what Jesus is saying here in terms of the spiritual temperature of the church. So what's Jesus saying at this point? He goes, I would that you were either cold or hot. And we're like, well, what, what does that mean? Well, this is what it means. On a hot summer day, or maybe even a hot fall day, I don't know if anyone was outside for any length of time, it got warm yesterday, at least where I was. It got really warm, I think it's going to get warm again. If you're outside for any length of time, on a, on a hot summer day in particular, right, what sounds refreshing to you? You don't go, a hot cup of coffee sounds refreshing to me, because I am burning up, and I'm just sweltering, right, and sweat, sweat dropping, dripping down my face. No, you, you want something cold. It's refreshing. And soon we're going to be in the winter months and freezing cold. And what do you want? I want some hot chocolate. I want to stand by a hot fire because I'm just absolutely freezing. It's refreshing. Lukewarm is not something that we typically find refreshing. You guys aren't probably going, I can't wait till Toonster stops preaching. We sing our last song so we can get out of here because I got some lukewarm pizza waiting for me at home from yesterday. I can't wait till we can have some lukewarm coffee after the service. Mmm, that sounds delicious. No, like nothing lukewarm typically is appealing to us. You either want it cold or you want it hot because that is refreshing. And Jesus says, the spiritual temperature of the church is met. The name outside is like First Church of Met. There's no passion, there's no enthusiasm, there's no joy, there's no weeping over their sin, there's no celebrating in their salvation. It's just kind of going through the motions. We have our activity, we have our windmill cookies, we have our catechism, we do our thing, we got our Bible study, we have our little kids' programs, and we got all this stuff, but there's no, there's no passionate vision for the glory of Jesus and, and the bringing of the power of his kingdom of light into darkness. It's just kind of, we're just kind of going through the paces, just doing our thing. We're just kind of meh. And Jesus says, that is incompatible with those who say that they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You can't just go, Jesus saved me from my sins. I'm his child. Going to heaven. Like, just kind of, here we are. Like, how is that compatible? So he shoots them with that laser, like, right in the forehead, like that we always had to do whenever we went anywhere during kind of the COVID season, right? It's like, I'm shooting you in the forehead, and guess what? Church goes, we're fine, right? He goes, no, you're meh. They have to hear that. And who wants to hear that? Because we all like to think we're something. We all like to think it's, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. And that's what they thought too. So we go from their spiritual temperature to their spiritual confusion. These two ideas, right? 
He says, I would that you are either hot, cold, cold, or hot, but you're lukewarm. But then notice what he says, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. Now, now, now just, just, just think about that for a second. Think of the dissonance between those two things. We're rich, we're fine, we're healthy, we're great. And Jesus goes, I know that's what you think, but in fact, you're poor, you're pitiable, you're naked, you're blind. That's like me standing up in front of you and going, hi, thank you for for welcoming me today. I'm from Bethel Church, and if you didn't know anything about me, I'm handsome, I'm six foot four, um, I'm 22 years old, I don't have uh, any bald spots on the top of my head, and, uh, and, and, I, and I feel great. And you're like, this dude does not comprehend reality. He is completely confused. He's, he's none of those things, and yet he just introduced himself as those things. Like, total disconnect. Here's this church. We're fine. We're good. They had no sense of who they were. Laodicea was known to be a bit of a vacation hotspot for the well-to-do. They themselves most likely would have been well-to-do feeding on that kind of vacation industry of the, the rich and the famous with their different springs that they had associated with their community. And they figured as far as life continued to go on and the lights were on and the buildings open, we're good. Life's comfortable. So we're good. And they had a complete confusion as to where in fact they live. Spiritually, you're blind to your blindness. You don't understand your nakedness. You're not reveling in the gospel. At some point, right? At some point, we got to hear this too. At some point, we have to receive this. Notice how the letter ends. The letter ends. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This isn't just for Laodicea, this is for all the churches. At some point, we've got to take a look in this mirror and we've got to go, what's our spiritual temperature? Where's our spiritual confusion? Where, where have we become first church of meh? Where, where are we struggling and not advancing, not growing? Where, where is it that we've lost sight of the vision that we're to have for, for Kalamazoo, for the community that we're in, for, for, for the places where we work and, and all these other things? Where, where are we just kind of comfortably going through the motions because, well, my life's fine, the mortgage is paid, I still got the job and, and, and everything's good and, 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 and Christianity becomes just this kind of like, I'm just cozy and comfortable and I become the frozen chosen. And, like, where are we being stretched? Where are we being challenged with this hard information that Jesus gives to his churches? Because this disease called Laodicea can, can, can afflict us in so many different ways. 
in the face of this hard information where Jesus says, what? You're pitiable, you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Hard words. Comes the most generous invitation. Look at what we read. Next verse. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Everything that you think that you can provide for yourself which you cannot is provided in me. Now, we maybe get tripped up on this language here a little bit because it almost makes it sound as though, right, like, come to me and then, then, then I have, like, um, this, this, this cupboard and, and then you can just buy things. And so, so, so earn your capital, um, earn, earn, earn your right to be able to buy these things for me. That's not what Jesus is saying. As I trust we all know, grace is free. But grace will cost you Everything. It's free, but it will cost you everything. What do you mean? I mean this. It'll cost you your life. In order to come to Christ, we need to die to self. The cost of following Christ is the death of self. And so Jesus says, now as counselor, our wonderful counselor, die to yourself and know life in me. But notice how he says that we can know life in him. And here's where I'm saying that the introduction is kind of a preview of, of what we have here now in the rest of this text. Because um, the, the first part, that he is a faithful, true witness, that applies to the hard words. But the language of the beginning of creation now applies to this generous invitation. How so? Because you hear in this final section that I'm calling generous invitation. You hear in this final section the, the, the echoes of the creation story. What were two things that happened with the fall of Adam and Eve? The first was the shame of their nakedness. And, and the second thing associated, if you will, with the fall was the banishment from the garden. In other words, the removal of mankind from the meal, the fellowship meal that God had with his people when he dwelt with them and invited them to eat of the great expanse of all the fruit that he created in the garden. The effect of the fall was man was naked and ashamed and he's banished from God's presence and the fellowship meal that 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 presence would enjoy. Look at your text. What does Jesus say? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. The one who is the voice of creation says to his fallen creation, I want to make you new. 
and I want to clothe you with garments that are not just the garments of animal skin, but the garments of whiteness, the garments of righteousness, the garments of purity, the garments of the salvation that comes through the God of recreation. And then what does he say? Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If he's, if he's knocking, then that means he's outside. He's not inside. In other words, there, there's a separation. Separation that speaks of the separation of the fall. Speaks of the banishment. So he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And what? What does it say? Eat with him. You're going to be clothed and your shame's going to be covered. And the distance between us is going to be no more. And together we're going to eat a meal. We are going to feast. We're going to rejoice. And we're going to know the power of that goodness. Because that separation is no more. And he says all of this. Because notice, I skipped over it. But verse 19. Those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. Why does he say, I want to clothe you and I want to dine with you? Because to the most unlikely of churches, he says, I love you. If you go up just just a little bit into the church in in Philadelphia, verse 9, Jesus says that the vindication of this church will be that the, the, the nations will see, I have loved you. I love you. And in one sense you go, well, of course, he loves Philadelphia. <laughs> Philadelphia is Philadelphia. Like, he didn't have any criticism at all of Philadelphia. Of course he says to Philadelphia, I love you. That makes sense. But the exact same thing he says to the church of nothingness. I love you. It's because I love you. I want to draw you out of you and into me to know the power and the wonder of grace that doesn't hinge on your goodness mine, not your righteousness, mine, not your love, mine. And it's that powerful voice of that living message that takes nothing churches and makes them something for the glory of his name for the praise of His grace. I don't know where you guys are. You don't know where we are at Bethel. We're all in kind of different places. 
But we all belong to this God. And we all live in the power of His Word. So may He take you from the nothingness that inevitably is always there in any church, ours as well, and speak His voice of recreation and give to us a newness that refreshes us and sings praise to His name. Let's go to our God in prayer. Father God, thank you for the wonder of your word and the power of your grace. Thank you, Lord, that for this church of nothingness, you speak your voice and create new life, give new hope, invest within them the wonder of your grace. Lord, we pray that you would continue to revive and refresh us. Give to us that reorientating, refocusing power of your word to enliven us and use us, Lord, to speak of the wonder of your grace. Forgive us, Lord, of all of our sins. Forgive us, Lord, where we have fallen short. Forgive us, Lord, where the gospel message has too often been something that we receive with indifference. It's just something that we do, something that we say, and not who we are. And so, Lord, we pray that the main things would be the plain things, and the plain things would be the main things in our fellowship, and that we would be striving for a life of simplicity, to be a simple church that simply holds the preciousness and the wonder of the good news of life in Jesus Christ. So bless us in this afternoon. Bless us as we go into the rest of this day. May you use us, Lord, to build your kingdom as we ask this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Hymn number three.